0: And so we celebrate that. We celebrate the arrival of hope into the world. Back then they were looking forward to it. We look back and see that it happened. And we celebrate it. So I pray as we enter into this special time of the year, Advent, that you would truly meet with us that you would fill us up with your hope. That looking at stories that are so familiar to us that we've looked at perhaps every single year since we were kids would once again just fill us with that awe and wonder. That you sent a messenger to prepare your people for the arrival of your Son. As we look at how that all started, would you give us understanding? And would you give us hope today, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, special thank you for the um, everyone that did the decorating for the church. It looks beautiful in here. Uh, if you don't, if you don't get a chance to see this up close, this is a really cool Advent thing here. Just uh, with with the His name shall be John written down. Uh, very cool, and the trees and all of that. So, thank you. Um. Every year, you know, we watch Christmas movies, and you probably do too. So I have a little Christmas movie trivia for you, all right? And feel free to just say the answer if you know the answer, all right? So, number one, what's the name of the rabbit in the magic hat and Frosty the Snowman? I heard it. Hocus Pocus, is that right? Yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah, Well, yeah, that's it. That's it right there. Yeah. Number two. In the Polar Express movie, what word does the conductor punch into the ticket of the young man with all the questions? Remember he takes the tickets and he punches them, you know, and and they make a word? Do you know what the word is? Believe. Is it learn in the book, maybe? I don't know. Believe? Believe is the word. Yes. Number three. What was the most likely reason that the Grinch hated Christmas? How many? His heart grew three sizes, but at first it was two sizes. Oh, see? There you go. Some people are hitting other people beside them on that one. It's starting to get rough in here. All right, all right. Uh, next one. And it's a wonderful life. What happened every time a bell rang? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there was no disputing that one. That was pretty sure. Number six. Or uh, five, excuse me. What does Charlie Brown's sister want for Christmas? What? Oh, you're looking at it, Jim. You can't answer. <laughs> Anybody? What's that? Not hair. Remember she's writing, uh, writing a, a letter to him? And then Charlie Brown's very distressed when she gives her answer. Money. Money. Tens and 20s. Tens and 20s. Okay. Well, we were, boy, you guys are getting stumped here. The last one's really hard. What are you going to do then? Okay, in the 1947 film Miracle on 34th Street, what unusual present did six-year-old Susan ask for Christmas? A house. That's right. And the last one, which I thought personally was kind of hard, but apparently the other one's hard here. In Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, who rules the island of misfit toys? What's that? It's a lion. What's his name? King Moon Racer. Yeah! <laughs> you know, I should have had prizes. I, I should have, but I could just see, like, throwing, I don't know, candy canes at you or something. I don't know. Well... I think for a lot of families, every year there's this time when you're like, we're all going to gather around, we're going to watch our favorite holiday movie, and maybe it's the Charlie Brown one, maybe it's Rudolph, but whatever. You sit down and you watch it, and your kids say, we've watched it for the 31st time, and you're like, number 32 won't kill you, sit down. And uh, you make the popcorn and and pass it around, and suddenly they're eating and they're happy, and, and you watch the movie, whatever that is. How many of you have a movie that you probably watch every single year? Without fail. Yeah, most of you. Most of you do. Yeah. Christmas is full of familiar stories. And, and in church, we, we do something similar in that we look at a story that we've heard every single year. Some of us, since we were little kids. I mean, I had my kids. I always had my kids on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day read the story of Christmas. I mean, just like what well, we do every year. Looking at it over and over, I believe, ought to fill us with hope every single year. And the hope goes deeper than getting the popcorn out and watching your favorite Christmas movie. It's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's more wonderful than that because it's a true story that's like none other. So I want to look at the beginning of Christmas in in the prophecy of John the Baptist. So would you turn to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. Uh, starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations, blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time time for the burning of incense came, All the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Now, apparently Zechariah's wife didn't mind him being quiet for a while, according to the video. (laughs) I think most wives want their husbands to talk more, you know, but not Zechariah. Okay. Um Zechariah is a man who doubted. He doubted what the angel said. And because of that, a sign was given and the sign was that he wasn't able to talk until the baby was born. And so he had to write. You know, they wanted to name him Zechariah after after the father, but he had to write down no, his name will be John. And John means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. Now, um, I want to look at the story through the lens of doubt. Zechariah doubted. And he never gets the bad rap that uh, doubting Thomas gets. We don't call him doubting Zacharias. But he did doubt. And an angel appeared to him, and that's who he doubted. I think all of us at different times in our lives struggle with Doubt. And I believe Christmas is a time where we can look at a story of miracles and have our faith and our hope bolstered by by looking at it, by overcoming doubts. What I want to do is I just want to share some truths for the times that we doubt, the times that we struggle. Number one, first of all, just because something seems impossible doesn't mean it won't happen. So, verse 13 says this. When the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you were to give him the name John. Zechariah doubted it. I mean, he said, We're, we're too old for that. We're too old to have kids. Just because something seems impossible doesn't mean it won't happen. If you think about it, God had been silent for 430 years, ever since Malachi. You've got all of this silence. And then you have an angel. Now now on this day, Zechariah was the priest and he was chosen by casting lots. You think he got got the short straw or or whatever you want to call that, but but they were casting lots and it fell to Zechariah, which was a huge honor. A huge honor to go in there. And it should have just been a normal, do the incense thing, be done, walk out. You you had a very honorable day. It's, It's a very high calling to do that. But this day was special because God broke his silence. God sends an angel. And I think part of our doubt that we experience sometimes comes from life just seems so ordinary, I can't imagine the miraculous happening. It just, life seems too mundane. Uh, Science governs the world. I I don't view it as God governing the world. But he does. He does. And when he acts, he breaks through all of that ordinariness. Jesus would say it like this. In predicting Jesus' coming, he says, it's going to kind of be like in the days of Noah. We could pull that verse up. It's going to be like in the days of, uh, of Noah, People are eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed it all. Or then he says, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, uh, the days of Lot, people are eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. The day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus will come back and life is going on as normal. It's a typical day. People are getting married. People are buying. People are selling. You're going to the grocery store. You're waking up and going to work. Uh, You're tucking your kids in at night. It's just a normal day. It's ordinary. And then something extraordinary will happen. Jesus will come back. So don't fall into the doubt of, I see my life. It's routine. It's everyday. It's common. Because one day God will make it very uncommon. And Christmas is full of uncommon things. Virgins don't get pregnant. That doesn't happen. And, and how is it that Joseph and Mary just happened to be at Bethlehem like it was foretold? It, it's full of the miraculous. Don't let the ordinary stop you from believing the extraordinary. Because life will go on. And then one day in the twinkling of an eye, a trumpet will sound and things will change forever. And we've never seen anything like it before, exactly. Just like it was dry, 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 and suddenly it starts raining. Just like it was do whatever you want to do in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then you see fire and brimstone rain down. Never seen that before. Things change. Don't let the mundane stop you from believing in the miraculous, because God still does that. They were way too old. Shouldn't have stopped them from believing, I don't think. Uh, I, I know it's hard, but you know, uh, Abraham and Sarah are the perfect example of that. Number two: uh, no matter what is happening right now, your future can be full of joy. So for those that struggle with doubt, I would say to you, no matter what's happening right now in your life, no matter how bad things are, your future can be full of joy. Look at verse 14. John will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Zachariah and Elizabeth, your future is full of joy. And please understand, for the Christian, every day is promised joy. There's going to be sorrow too, I understand that. But, but for the Christian, looking into the future, we are guaranteed joy. Ultimately in heaven where every tear gets wiped away. But I think one of the hard things, one of the things that causes people to doubt is you say there, this God is loving and you say he's all-powerful, yet I look around and I see the world in a mess. How can an all-loving, all-powerful God allow this to happen? God must not be loving. Or if he is loving, he must not be powerful enough to deal with it. And we say as a church, no, he, he's both all loving and all powerful. Look at 1 John. God is love. He is love. Look at Genesis 1. God spoke the world into existence. He has all the power. But it, that causes doubt. When you see evil in the world, when evil touches your life, it causes you to doubt. Is God good? Is he there? Does he care? Does he really love me? Why did he let this happen? Romans 8 declares that the whole creation is groaning. Like everything's messed up. Everything's not as it should be. Sin did this, declares Romans 8. Sin did this. Sin messed this whole thing up. But then it says in Romans 8, liberation is coming. God is going to liberate the creation. And the creation waits. We wait. It says, we wait for our adoption as children. Like the full adoption. Like, nothing stopping me from enjoying that full relationship with God face-to-face. We want that. Kids want to be face-to-face with their parents. We want to be face-to-face with Christ. Liberation's coming. That's the promise. One day he'll put all this right. But he is waiting. He is waiting for more people to repent. Don't let that doubt creep in that maybe God doesn't love or maybe God isn't powerful or maybe God, whatever. Don't do that. Because every day we're promised joy. Jesus says, I want your joy to be full and complete. And John the Baptist was certainly going to do that for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Two people who had, I am sure had many sorrowful nights who had to hear the word barren which is a horrible word to say to anybody Uh, I I think childlessness is emotional enough anyway but to to have the stigma of that and then to be told no no you're going to have a son and and he's going to bring you joy our joy is coming our joy is here we've received it Thirdly, I'd say to those who doubt, um, God has a good purpose for your life. Verse 15 through 17, look at um, what is said of John the Baptist. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink like Nazarenes of the Old Testament. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go before uh, the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah turn the hearts of the fathers to their children the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this guy has a huge purpose. Your son is going to turn people back to God. He's got a purpose for being born. I'm tell- and I know for us, we'd probably like to know. We'd like to have it written down. We'd like to have it told to our parents. What is your purpose? What are you supposed to do? Well, Let me try to help with that question a little bit about your purpose. Because I think sometimes we look at our life and we go, what am I here for? And that causes doubt. Why was I born? Some people even consider themselves an accident, even though there are no accidents when it comes to babies and birth. There are none. Jesus talked about John the Baptist in this way, if we can get the verse up. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, which is probably everybody, um, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now let, let's stop right there for a second. Among everyone born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So uh, Israel considered Moses to be like the prophet. Like he's, he's the big guy. We all love Moses. But, but Jesus is like, no, John the Baptist is greater. And then there's Elijah. John the Baptist is greater. How can you say that? Well, he did things like Elijah. So, like Elijah, John the Baptist confronted rulers about their sin. Didn't make him a popular guy. Uh, Like Elijah, he called people to repent in Israel. Like Elijah, he, uh, he was persecuted. And he had to persevere through it. What made him so great, though, and, and the answer that comes to my mind, and maybe this is what you would think too, is he prepared the way for Jesus, like he he got people ready for the coming of the Son of God. Nobody had that honor. Moses didn't get that honor. Elijah didn't get that honor. Nobody had the honor of getting everybody ready for Christ. He is the greatest. But then you get then Jesus, you know, in, in, in typical fashion, throws in something that makes you go, what? Yet he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So, okay, everybody after John the Baptist is less than John the Baptist. But everybody after John the Baptist, even the least in the kingdom, is greater than John the Baptist. Okay? Maybe you've always thought of yourself as like the worst Christian in the world. Sometimes we feel that way. You're still greater than John the Baptist. How can that be? How can that possibly be true? Well, I thought about this for a while. <laughs> How can it be? And the only answer that I can come up with that makes sense to me is this, and maybe you can tell me a better one, but this is, this is the best I got. That the least in the kingdom of heaven know something, understand something that John the Baptist never did. John the Baptist didn't see the crucifixion of Christ, and he didn't know about the resurrection of Christ. Like, he prepared people for Jesus, but he didn't see it. He didn't know the gospel like you know. You have something that John the Baptist never had, and that's the gospel. He died. I mean, now, of course, he could have lived that long, but they, they took his head. So when it comes to your purpose in life, let me suggest that your purpose is bound up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when you think, why am I here on this earth? Part of your answer ought to be, Jesus died for me and was raised from the dead. And now I live a new life, I deny myself, and I follow. Whatever you want to think about your life, somehow it's connected to, I'm denying myself, taking up my cross, and following the footsteps of Christ. That's a good start. That's a good start. I mean, you can find that in the Bible. Like I said, I I know a lot of us wish we could open a book and just see what our purpose is. And I know we all have unique giftings, personalities, talents. But all of that has to be connected to the gospel. And that makes you greater than John the Baptist. Fourthly, for those who doubt, let me just say this simply. It's the Lord who has spoken. It's the Lord who has spoken. I, I love the way this is written. I read this a number of times this week and I was like, this is so great. You know, Zechariah verse 18. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Uh, I'm an old man. And then the angel says, I'm Gabriel. You know? No, I'm old. I'm an angel. (laughs) I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you now and tell you this good news. And now you're going to be silent and able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their proper time, doubting Zacharias. Zechariah? I mean, come on now. Um, So this is kind of it. When it comes to Christmas, I know people love celebrating it. Religious people love it some non-religious people love celebrating Christmas and thinking about the story but really it boils down to this do you believe the Lord has spoken do you believe the Lord has spoken Zechariah, do you believe Gabriel spoke for the Lord to you don't doubt the angel it's going to happen and so it all comes down to do I trust what God said in the Bible to be true do I trust it is it what God says it is? Can we pull up First Peter? Uh, Peter seems to think this is pretty important because he says, Above all, above all, you must understand no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophet, prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. It all comes down to this. Do you believe God spoke? And if he did speak, you better hear it. If he did speak... I want to encourage you this Christmas, when you read the Christmas story, read it and let it fill you with hope. Hope is looking forward into the future and knowing if something's going to happen, even though it hasn't happened yet. You know it's true. It's going to happen. Read the prophecy with hope. I want to look at a few of them this morning to kind of close our time out. And would you just let yourself be filled with hope? Those of you that have questions, those of you that have doubts, those of you that don't know what your future holds. Let's look at a few of them. First one, if we can put that one up. One of the first prophecies of Christmas, Genesis twenty-two seventeen. God says to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, there's an important word, offspring. We'll talk about that in a second. All nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless everyone through you, Abraham. And so we see in the next passage, Jesus' genealogy. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He had to be a son of Abraham. That was the promise. But furthermore, that word offspring is kind of important because the next verse in Galatians, uh, Paul makes a point. This, of course, is after Jesus' coming and death and resurrection. Paul says, hey, the promise is spoken to Abraham that we just looked at and to and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Now, seed and offspring being the same word there, but Paul's making a point based on singular versus plural. You grammar people, you should love this. Um, The promise is to the seed, singular, and and, and the argument is that's one person, singular, Jesus. Next. Uh, This is a prophecy uh, from Jacob to his sons. Uh, The scepter will not depart from Judah, that Judah is one of Jacob's sons, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes from whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. So there's a ruler coming, and and the rulers are always going to be from Judah, the tribe of Judah of Israel. So next verse. When your days are over, and you... Oh, this is next, uh, next, another prophecy in the same idea. Later, God spoke to David and said to David, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So next verse. So uh, Jesus is the son of Malia, the son of Menna, the son of Mathathah. Ooh, I don't know how to say that, the son of Nathan, the son of David. He's in the line of kings. Jesus had to be born in the line of kings, the line of Judah, and so he is. Next. Isaiah 7.14. A lot of you know this one. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. So clearly a virgin has the son. Next. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. The virgin is with child. Next. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, in one sense, Israel did leave Egypt. In another sense, next verse. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he took, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. It had to be Egypt. It had to be. Next. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Had to be Bethlehem. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Had to be. Next. Uh, The Psalm of David. The Lord says, this is interesting, the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So the Lord is talking to David's Lord, interestingly enough. Next. Next. So today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is Christ the Lord. I think that's all the ones I gave you. Um, I noticed also, though, if if you were listening to the um, Advent reading, it says, I'm going to send a messenger to prepare the way. And then it says, when when the way is prepared and and that person comes, the Messiah, it says he will enter the temple. I I think that's... uh, the, the um, first verse there. He will enter the temple. And I thought about this this week. Do you know that the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D.? I mean, if Jesus wasn't born at the right time, there would be no temple for him to walk into. The prophecy couldn't have been fulfilled. John the Baptist could prepare the way, but but the person that was to come could not enter the temple. That many years later, 70 A.D., Rome came in and demolished it. Even that was perfectly timed. <clears throat> Some of you have heard this example, but I want to say it again to you. Do you know the chances of Jesus fulfilling even eight out of the 60 major prophecies? I could have done 60 today. Wouldn't that be great? <clears throat> um, I could have done 60. But even the chance of Him fulfilling, even the ones that I just mentioned just now, what are the odds And one guy did the odds, and it's 1 in 10... Oh, it doesn't translate well, doesn't it? I'm sorry. 1 in 10 to the 17th power. It looks better in Microsoft Word than it does up here. Um, 1 in 10 to the 17th power. So that's 1 with 17 zeros after it. Count them. I believe they're all there. 1 in 10 to the 17th power that Jesus could fulfill 8, even 8... It's kind of hard to control where you're born. It's kind of hard. The guy that wrote this and did the numbers here, it was checked by a a scientific association, um, but he also tried to give us some perspective on it. Um, Let me say it like this. Some of you have heard this this story, this uh, example before. Um, It goes like this. If you took silver dollars and you had that many of them, and you covered the state of Texas with them, it would be about two feet high of silver dollars covering the state of Texas. That's what that number would represent. Now let's say you marked one of those silver dollars and put it with all the rest in the state of Texas. And let's say we dropped you in Dallas and said, Now start walking and pick up a silver dollar. The chance that you would pick up that one is those odds. That's the odds you could get eight prophecies accomplished. Do you know that you have a more likely chance of being struck by lightning than that happening? You do. Your chance of being struck by lightning is one in 250 million. That's better odds than that. I hope and I pray that this year you are full of, of hope, that everything God said he would do, he did. Everything he will do, he will do. Uh, Let me close with this verse. This is the one we're waiting for. This is the one that challenges you. Because Christmas is over. Christmas has happened. We, we, We look at it backwards now. This is what we're looking forward to. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So I just want to encourage you this morning. I just want to encourage you with prophecy. Prophecy is supposed to build hope in us. One day, Jesus will return. And after that, we'll be with him forever, and we're going to say things like, Hey, remember when he came back? Remember when the clouds parted? Remember when the trumpet blasted? Remember how quick it was that we joined him? Remember the moment it went from ordinary to extraordinary, from from mundane to miraculous? Remember that day? One day we'll be able to look back in time and see that the Lord did it. And I pray that that fills you with hope. This year, if you don't make it a tradition, you should. Open the Bible with your family. Read it. Read it. Some of us are very good at watching our favorite Christmas movies when we get the popcorn out, and that's wonderful. Make sure you open the book and read it and be filled with hope and wonder and joy. Because Christ has been born and Christ will return. Could we sing Jesus Messiah one more time? Could we do that? Come on up, worship team. Let's pray. Father.